0: If you have your Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn to Joshua chapter 24. And then I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10. They're very close to each other. So Joshua and then back to the left to Deuteronomy. Joshua 24 and verse 14. At the close of Joshua's life, his instruction to the Israelites is this. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil or inconvenient unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, we would say the world and its ways, Or the Lord. But as for me and my house, Joshua said, we will serve the Lord. Now, I want to key in today on the word serve. Now, it's a common word in Christianity. We use it quite nonchalantly. We use it to describe people that we believe are living the Christian life. Sometimes we say, well, they love the Lord. That means that they're, they're busy, they're active, or they're sincere, or they're really into it, into Christianity. And we just say, yeah, they love the Lord. Or you can say that that boy's serving the Lord, or that girl, she's, she's serving the Lord. Now, people, Christians don't really have, always have, a good definition of what service means. But whatever it does mean, whatever it was intended to mean to us as Christians, it's to be done, as he said here, in sincerity and in truth, without some play acting, without some front, you know, a Sunday morning service or something. But it's a life you live. You live serving the Lord. I titled the message today, Who Will Serve God? And I'm not going to try to make this hard. I just want to bring out to you what the Bible says about it with commentary, of course, so you can make a decision yourself. You know, Jesus asked Peter once, do you love me? We assume that everybody that goes to church loves the Lord. We just assume that. That's common in Christian language. If you're joined church, if you've been baptized or whatever people call being saved, it just automatically means you love the Lord. Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? And, and you remember the story in John 20. John had to say, as we would interpret it, you know, I have great affection and feeling for you. I have messed up so bad concerning you. I denied you. I, I even cursed to deny you because I didn't want to suffer because of you. And the kind of love you want goes way beyond that. I can't tell you that I love you like that because I just proved I didn't. Well, the same thing can be said about service. What God demands and what God wants from us in serving the Lord has to be measured by the word. Are we serving him this way? And when you hear about his way, the question of the message is, will you serve God? Now, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 10. Will you turn over there? Joshua said, serve him in sincerity and truth. And in Deuteronomy 10, verse 12. And now, Shelbyville, says Israel here, and now, Christian brother or sister, what does the Lord thy God require of you? There's four things here. And he said he requires you to fear the Lord God, Now, fear is an attitude that you have towards God of who he is and what he means to you or how who he is affects your thinking about him and the rest of your life. It's God. And he said, here's what God requires. You're to fear him. You're to have an attitude of reverence and respect towards God. And secondly, he said, you are to walk in all of his ways. That evidences your fear. If you say you have a great attitude and respect for God, we'll see it in how you live, in the way you conduct the affairs of your life, whether you really do respect and regard God or not. But God requires that. And the third thing that he said was that you love him. Love is affection, it's feeling, it's the emotional part of Christianity. It's the thing that causes you to have passion about what you're doing or praying or ministering or witnessing. It's because of God and how you feel about him. You love him. It's your affections for God. And the fourth thing he mentions in verse 10 is to serve him and he gives a description of what he means by serving him. He said he wants you to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul the best you can, as good as it is possible for you to do, make up your mind that in that way you're going to serve the Lord. Now, we haven't got a definition yet of what the Bible means for serve, but we know this, that God wants a lot more from us than what a lot of people are aware that they should be giving him. For example... We're all familiar with Romans 12, are we not? You don't have to turn there. I'm sure you know this by heart. But Romans 12 says in verse, verse 1, he talks about we should offer our bodies. That's ourselves, people, our, our lives. We should offer our bodies as what? A living sacrifice. Something we willingly do. Not to enjoy ourselves, but that God may enjoy us. Now, if he enjoys us, we'll enjoy him. But offer yourselves a willing sacrifice unto God. And he says you present yourself as a living sacrifice certain way. And then he ends the verse by saying this is your reasonable service. In this way, it is reasonable for you to serve God. While you're living, you're dying. That's what a cross is about. We'll get to that in a minute. While you live, you die. You don't live for yourself now. You live for him. You've been bought with a price. You no longer belong to yourself, though you're in charge of yourself as far as you having a will and being responsible to make choices in this life. You can make any choice you want to. The consequences will follow, but you can, you folks, anybody in the world, dress any way you want to, act any way you want to, talk any way you want to. You have a will. God gave it to you. That's the way you live. And God says, now, in response to what I've done for you, I want you to live daily. Offer yourself to me a living sacrifice. And God said, it is reasonable and proper for God to expect that from you. So, the word service, serve, give you two definitions. One, it means to render obedience or reverence to God. Nobody else can do that for me. I have to do that. I pray God, open my eyes, make me truly aware of of what I'm doing and give me the grace to do it. I don't wanna just do it because I'm a member of a church and this is what we do as members of churches. I wanted to do it because I have a personal relationship with you first. I want to do this because of who you are, to render obedience or reverence to God. That has to do with things like loyalty, devotion, commitment, dedication. It's a serious word. Another definition, probably the one I like the best, is the willing application of his way to your life. That means I have to find out what he wants. And when I find out what he wants, then I must be willing to do it. And isn't it true that what God shows us in his word so often conflicts with things in our life? Doesn't it? I mean, we're doing this and we like to do this and then God uh, convicts you that you shouldn't be doing that. That's not good for you. That's going to be an open door someday, and you're going to get entangled in the affairs of this world, and you might not escape. I mean, he lovingly warns his people about things in our life. That doesn't mean we'll stop. It means we know now we should. And if you want to serve God, there are things in your life you have to let go of. You know that because you can't serve God and anything else. God will not share his glory with anybody else. You're his vessel in whom he wants his glory to shine. And it doesn't shine when you're not dedicated or committed to him. This is something every new Christian needs to learn. You're coming to Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. The way that is set before you leads to heaven. But it's not easy. Because you see, God wants you to serve him. Your life is to be in service to him, and that means you must be willing to apply his way to your life. We call that, in our life, being faithful. It's as simple as that. How can we, in this room, how can we please God if we don't serve him willingly? Because that's what being faithful is. Make an application in my life of what the Bible says. Maybe not always perfect. We're learning, we're growing, and things are becoming more clear as we go. But at whatever stage you're growing, you must be willing to do what it says. Those that are weak in the faith have to be shown a better way, but they were sincere while they were weak. But now they've got new light. They're going to live in a better level. Old things are behind. They're going to live straight now, a higher level. We're growing. But serving is is like that. You're serving him with the light that you have with your heart fully into it. As God shows you more, you do more. You live more. You make it better. Because that's what we're here for, to serve. We serve God. And that's what he wants. And how else, again, how else could we please God if we weren't willing to do what he said? Which is what serving is. It's a willing application of God's way to your life. I am willing to do that. Now, let me give you to this morning three considerations, three things for us to consider in serving God. And again, I'm not gonna to try to make this hard. I have to live the same thing I'm telling you. I have to deal with everything that I say to you. But in light of just thinking and looking, pondering, as personally, people, life, attitudes in the world, and I've seen a whole bunch of it. You know, I've been sheltered for the last few years. Because again, I got in an airport the other day and was alarmed. There's the stuff that people read and laugh about and talk about, attitudes in the world, I think, you know, I really am saved. None of that has any appeal to me. I have no desire for any of that. But look at the mass of humanity that can't do anything else but that. They have no light, or as Bonnie would whisper, they have no revelation of Jesus in their life, and they don't want it. That's the worst part. They don't want to change. They don't want to give up that racy look and that nasty lifestyle or those unclean spirits. They don't want to give that up. That's the only thing in life that they enjoy. That's the only way they know to enjoy life is to sin. There's nothing else they could do that they would call fun. And life is all about fun. You're only young once. You ought to have fun. But you can't serve God like that, but they don't want to serve God. So three considerations for us as Christians for service. Number one, it's a challenging decision that few people are willing to make. That is to serve God. Oh, I think everybody wants to serve. No, they don't. Not all church members want to serve God. We like to be members of a church. We like the the feeling that we get of trying to be better. We like the idea that, well, at least you're trying. But you know what? Attending a church doesn't mean you're serving God, does it? If it is, then we, don't, we need to bypass this message and go to something else because you're all doing it. And I'm not speaking about you in particular. But it's a message from the Bible. Attending church doesn't mean you're serving God. It means you're attending church. You're in a meeting. Reading your Bible doesn't mean you're serving God. It would include that. Listening to sermons doesn't mean you're serving God. Serving God is more than just some show or outward thing. It's a life you live, and it's costly because about what I just said, number one, being this serving God is a challenging decision that I think few people are willing to make, really and truly make. First of all, there's a price that you're going to have to pay to serve God. If you want to serve the Lord on his terms, then you're going to have to be willing to pay a price with your decisions to do that. Look in Luke 14 for just a moment. Something that Jesus said. And I wonder how many people would be willing in this world, in this life, to do this. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus said, when a great multitude was following him, he turned and he said to this multitude, in verse 28, he said, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost? I want to be a Christian, do you really? Do you really want to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, an imitator of Christ? Do you really want to be? Well, here's what's involved. Would that be okay to say that? I mean, isn't that what we should say? So, you want to be a Christian. Are you willing to be a Christian? Well, yeah, I want to be a Christian. Why do you want to be a Christian? I ask young ones that all the time who want to be baptized. I said, why? They they don't always know. That's where mom and dad comes in. But why do you want to be a Christian? Why do you want to go to church? Why anything? You got to ask yourself the question, why? Is it because I, I want to go to heaven? That's not exactly the best answer. I want to be a Christian because I want to be forgiven of my sins and the guilt that hangs over me and the unrelenting pressure of being less than what God wants all the time. I want to be forgiven. I want this burden lifted off of me, off of my heart. I want God to forgive me of what I've done. Are you willing to give yourself back to God to do what he wants done? Yeah, I guess. Well, let me tell you what he wants done. Let's go over there. Let's teach on what God wants from his people. What does God require of you? Well, he wants you to fear him. He wants you to walk with him. He wants you to, to love him. And he wants you to serve him, okay? Everybody's happy with that until you start explaining what those things mean. But that's what we're doing. We're trying to make clear to God's people who profess and confess that they want to be Christians, this is what it's about. For this is what leads to peace and joy in this life. It's what the world's trying to find and can't. But it's offered to us this way. But it's going to be costly. He said in Luke 14, 28, he said, before you jump into this and before you say, oh, I want to go forward and be a a Christian, do you really? Do you realize that when you offer yourself to God as a sacrifice, God wants everything you have. He wants your time, your energy, your efforts, daily, all the time. All the time. Are you willing to do that? Well, you don't know very many people that do, so you say, I don't know. Well, you you need to think about it. He said, here, before you jump up and join me, he said, count the cost, in verse 28, whether or not you have sufficient to finish it. Count the cost. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, a part of the cost is, he said, you're going to be hated. Oh, no, we want to be good old boys. Church does its level best in a community to be admired and respected uh, by the community. Church does its best in America so that the government will give it a break. We want to find favor with the government. We want favor with the world. We want everybody to think this is the place you ought to go. And Jesus said, when you live the life, you're going to be hated. And you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be spoken of as evil. You're going to be scorned and scoffed at. they are going to be gossiped about and stories told about you. You're going to be misunderstood. The world cannot understand why people like you would dedicate yourself to living in such a way that you're not having fun. Parents, friends, they feel sorry for you, but now you're in some sort of religious cult that wants your whole life. We don't want it. God does. It seems so strange. And yet, Jesus said, if you're going to walk with me, you're going to pay a price. You're going to suffer All that live godly in 2 Timothy 3, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Shall suffer persecution. Why? Because the world you're living in is hostile to God. It's an adversary. Like Jesus said in John 15, he said, the world will hate you, but it's not you they hate. It's me they hate. Did you know the world hates Jesus? Talk to the world about Jesus to see what they say to you. You ever listen to a radio program? Somebody calls in and mentions God, how they can't get that person off the air fast enough? We don't want to hear about God. We don't want Jesus to invade our life. We want to invade a sanctuary and somebody tell us that we're good, but we don't want want to live according to what he says because it grieves me to hear what God says, because he wants so much of me. Yet it costs him everything to get you to be his. But it's going to be costly. Again, you're going to suffer. There's a price to pay. Jesus said in John 17, he said, I have given them in his high priestly prayer to God before he was persecuted and, and, and crucified. He said, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them. Do you realize that the word of God that you're being given, that you're asked to have abide in your heart, will be the very thing that will cause you to be rejected and hated? I look back at my friends from pre-salvation days, I'm afraid a number after that, and I found that they've, they've all fled One of them said, well, you never come around anymore. I said, you didn't either. Well, he doesn't come around anymore. He's too good for us. To which I say, I haven't seen you at my house either. But if you do come and you ask me what happened, I'm going to tell you what happened. I'm going to give the same thing to you that God gave to me. And then you'll never come back unless you have a heart for God and you want to be saved. People don't want to be saved. They like living an unsaved life with a little flavor of God in it. They don't want to give up everything for the Lord. I don't think they do. But he says this word that's in you that's giving you the choices to make in your life which is causing you to be identified more and more as his. The world hates that. They don't want to do it, but you're willing to do it and therefore it's the price you're gonna pay. A second price you're gonna pay about this is that there's a, there's a cross you're gonna to have to carry. Listen, listen at these words. If any man will come after me, Jesus speaking, said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Three things. Well, four, actually. First of all, do you want to come? If you will come, Jesus, the Bible said, whosoever will may come. Will you come? If you do. Here's a condition upon which you are allowed to come. You must deny yourself, that part of you that rules and runs your life, that part of you that corrupts your life or that offers itself to God. It's self. And all the corruption that is in self given by the world, you must deny that. No more. That's enough. I see what you've done to my life. No more. You deny yourself and you what? Take up what? take up the cross, what's it for? A cross was for one thing and one thing only, to die on. It was a place of death. It was an altar. Like they offered sacrifices in the Old Testament on an altar. In the New Testament, the altar, the place of death is a cross. It signifies that sin has been dealt with at the cross and because of the death that took place at the cross, forgiveness is offered to man. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing because that's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. It does to us. It, does, it has great meaning for us. But a cross is a way of death. That means every day when you're faced with right and wrong, you've got to do what's right. You crucify your flesh with its affections and its lusts thereof. Luke Fourteen, verse twenty-seven. If you're still there, he said, "Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, listen to these words." He said he, "Cannot be my disciple. He can be a member of a church, can he? You can go to meetings and seminars and camps and mission. You can do anything, but if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and follow him." You can't be a disciple because discipleship is necessary. It's necessary to die to self so that God can live, so that he can have his way in your life. A third thing, if there's suffering, you're going to suffer. Let me read a verse of scripture for you in Romans chapter 8 and verse 17, especially because it has to do with being a joint heir with, with Christ. Romans 8 and verse 16. The spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If. Now here's a condition. You can't bypass this. You can't make an assumption on this. You have to measure yourself by this. We're joint heirs with Christ's if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You mean that for me to live the Christian life, to make the right decisions that God gives in a hostile, adversarial world, I'm going to suffer for it? There's going to be grieving, difficult moments that I'm going to go through because of making the right decisions? Yes, you're going to suffer. In some cases, it's political suffering. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 speaks about suffering the loss of all things because you're identified with Christ or with others like yourself who have been persecuted and they put you with them and you suffer too. But Jesus said, it's not you thereafter, brothers and sisters. It's Christ in you. You're simply letting him live his life. It's him still suffering in this world, but you're the one that's enduring his sufferings, and you're going through what was really assigned to him, but it's suffering. As I already said, those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous. Why would a righteous man or a righteous person be afflicted because of the very righteous nature of what you're doing it aggravates the world it reminds people in the world that you're right and they're wrong they know inherently that you're right i mean even when they've gone astray they know you're right they know they're wrong and you're a reminder to the world of what's right maybe not perfectly but they they can see that you're trying if you're trying They know I did I remember when before I got saved I knew the people I was hearing I knew they were right I knew this is the way it ought to be and this is what you're supposed to be doing I just didn't want to do it I didn't want to lose my friends I guess you would say that I really wanted to be a cool Christian I wanted to have my cake and eat it too I want to be all right with God but I want to be a good old boy I want to go out and hang out and mess around, but I also want to know that i got religion in my life. And if I die, I'm not as bad as some people. I'll probably make it. And you tell people, nobody will ever be good enough to go to heaven. If being good will get you to heaven, there was no reason for Jesus to come to this world. You don't need Jesus. You just need to be good. And yet if you have to have Jesus, then it's on his terms you got to surrender it all to him or there's no Jesus. Tell me, why do people not want to hear that? Because if you preach like that, people get upset. They start looking at their watch and where's the door? But isn't that what we are to find out? What the Lord requires of us? Then measure yourself by that. Am I living like this? Am I willing to suffer the loss of all things for the knowledge of Christ? Paul was, he was an elite Pharisee. He not only walked away from all that, but he was persecuted constantly because of his faith in God. It would be like today, I guess from what I've heard, it would be like a Muslim converted to Christianity. All they want to do is get rid of you. They hate Christ. The world hates him, hates his way because he's an interference. And Christians are a nuisance to the world. And you're going to suffer those kind of things. But the Bible said in Acts 14, verse 22, we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom. I thank God myself. Many years ago, after I got saved, you make yourself available to to more of what God says, reading the Bible studying, listening to a tape. Tapes were new then. Cassette tapes were very new. The ones I had were about that wide and about the great big cassette tape. It was a cassette tape, but it was not a, DV, not a VCR, but a cassette. And you'd listen to that, and wow, isn't this amazing? You can listen to what somebody said somewhere else, not on the radio. But you started learning things. I started seeing things in my new Christian life I'd never thought of before. Oh, maybe in the back of my mind I knew that there's a dedication that should be, but, you know, nobody does it. And you begin to read again. And the question comes, will you? And the more you begin to make those decisions, the more you know at at the high school where I taught, even on the basketball team that I coached, uh, people begin to notice the change. And kids in the school, Parents, and the fans, when you lost a game, they let you know it's all because of Jesus. I still remember that voice. There's too much Jesus on that team. Can you imagine anybody facing eternity one day, having to face God one day, having said the problem with a lousy ball game, an insignificant time in, in, in history, the passion I have and the anger I have is because there's too much Jesus on that team. I I don't know what God says. If a person dies and never repents of that, I don't know what he says. But I'd hate to think I had to go into eternity and and answer to God for that question. There's too much of the Savior on that team. Too much of he who atoned for all of our sins and loved us with an unending love on that team. We need more of the devil on this team. But that's the world. That's the way it functions. That's the way it thinks. That's what motivates the world is evil and darkness and ugliness. And you come out of there and you you want to live right, you'll suffer for it. You'll pay a price or you'll give up your Christianity. Like somebody said, this book will keep you from the world if if you'll get into it or the world will keep you from this book. One or the other. Like again, there's only either or it's one or either or. And then fourthly concerning the challenging decisions you'll make to serve God. Your destiny is decided by you and the choices that you're going to make. God doesn't make you do anything while he can cause you. In some cases, I'm sure he does. God gives you his word. He gives you this moment. He gives you this time, a time and a place. A time and a place. Freedom to come, freedom to go. Nobody compels you to come. Nobody compels you to to give or stay. God gives you this As a time and a place, he tells you what is right and then wants you to make a decision, you and me. We have to make a decision. You see, my personal choices in life is going to determine my destiny. Now, God already knows I don't. When the Bible says I have to make my calling and election sure, I have to believe I'm one of God's elect. I haven't seen the book of life. I don't know that my name is in it because I've seen it. I've got to believe it. And if I believe it, I live like it's so. That's because I believe it. I don't let myself do what I used to do because that would mean I don't believe anything's ever happened. Go to John's gospel, the gospel of John. Look in chapter 3. John chapter 3. I am sure you and the rest of the world is familiar with John 3. Look at verse 15. You probably quote this by heart. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You believe that? You have to, don't you? Jesus said it. Whosoever believeth hath faith, active, living faith in him It's not going to perish, but is going to have eternal life. Not those who say they believe, but those who believe. The, The word believe is a verb. It shows action. It does something. And verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's through him, about him, in him. Learn of me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's about Jesus. The focus of our lives, the focus of a church is Jesus. The reason for laying yourself as a sacrifice is so that Jesus can take what you offer and use it for his glory. And he begins changing you as you offer yourself to him so that you can become a useful vessel to the Lord to take you from where you were to where he wants you to be. He shows you in the Bible what he wants you to be. So we preach that. This is what he wants. Don't be offended by it. Accept it and say, praise the Lord. And then ask God for grace to be able to be like that. But look in verse 36, the last verse. He that believeth in the Son of God hath everlasting life. It says it again. He that believeth in the Son of God hath everlasting life. Let me call your attention to something. It's not the nature of this message, but let me add this to it. To believe is to possess. To believe in something is to have something. He that believeth, say hath. Hath. Now, all the rest of you say hath, hath. Uh, He that believeth hath. Not he that thinketh, not he that readeth, or readeth, or read, but he that believeth. The person who has what God offers is a person who believes what God has offered. Not just mental agreement, yeah, I believe it's true, but to believe it. As I started out saying, to serve is to be willing to do what God wants you to do. We call that being faithful. To be faithful is to be saved. For by grace, really through faithfulness, are you saved. Not by church member, church attendance, not by reading and studying and trying. and do, All of that will be involved, but you're not saved because you did something. You're saved because God did something. And what you do is in response to what he wants you to do. He wants you to live a certain way. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be useful to him. So he gives us a word. That's what the church teaches. If there's nothing for us to do, there's really no reason for us to be here. He just saves you and you can go home. It doesn't matter what you do. You're going to heaven. But that's not what the Bible says. God has a reason for leaving us on the earth as professing Christians. Even though in the midst of Christianity there are wheat and they're growing together, and they will until the harvest. We have to make sure that we are wheat. How can you tell about wheat? Well, they'll be doers of the word and not just hearers only. It's a choice I make. There's a certain kind of intensity to the Christian life that you have to really zero in, seize the moment, redeem the time, take to heart... What God is saying, and like a plumb line that's dropped in the middle of our church, you have to measure yourself by this word and realize that God is going to change your whole life and demand all your time and attention. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to serve the Lord on his terms? Because he that believeth on the Son of God hath eternal life. Now, here's the second part of verse 36. This is not the part that people like. But it says that he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. What if I told you this morning that the wrath of God is abiding on most of the world? The wrath. It doesn't show up in... People walking around sick all the time or people walking around somehow infected some way or loony. Some very intelligent, very responsible business people in the world, medical teams, lawyer teams, political people, all different compartments of life are full of people upon whom the wrath of God is abiding. They're hopelessly trying to find peace through Insurance and through investments and through education. They're trying to find something that just relieves them of this constant, uneasy expectation, literally, of dying. Because what happens then? Man, I don't know, but I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die yet. Nobody wants to die, but they don't know what's going to happen to them. So their whole life is bent on trying to find something that, that cannot give them eternal life. And it's just a horrible feeling that a lot of people have. A lot of people can't handle that. That's why people commit suicide. And yet, when they commit suicide and they die, they're gonna wish they hadn't. Have. We have such an opportunity. We're so blessed, you know that? What we've heard, the way we've heard it in all these years, that God has not abandoned us, but he's blessed us and added to us and given us, that grace has found a place to to land? We're like a little grace airport, and the plane lands, and the grace baggage is handed out. Are you aware that you're blessed? I'm aware that I am. I am blessed far more than I deserve to be blessed. I'll guarantee you that. And what a privilege it is to respond to God and then have God in kind respond back to you. When you are responding, you're being faithful. You're being a doer. And it pleases God to respond back to you and give you what he promised. Second thing, not only that, but a second thing about this is that your Christianity is going to be defined. Your Christian life will be defined by your service that we've been hitting around at this all morning. But if you turn to John 12, you're almost there. John chapter 12, and look at verse 25 and 26. Your Christianity is going to be defined, that's the second consideration, by your service. Verse 25, he that loves his life shall lose it. I don't know how you interpret that. I would ask you this morning sitting there, I'm not going to preach about it now, but how would you understand that? He that loves his life, love again is a word of affection. You really like yourself. You like what you do and how you're doing it and you want to keep yourself and you just want to have all the fun you can. He that loves his life, the Bible says, shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it until life eternal. It's a choice. It's either or. It's one or the other. Like everything else in life, it's either or. You love your life, you lose it. You hate your life, that is, you're willing to abandon your life and your ways so that you can be what God wants you to be, you'll keep it. It's your choice. It's a choice you make and nobody else can make for you. You either will or you won't. But he said, if any man serves me, in verse 26, if any man serve me, let him do what? Now, we can say this. Joshua started out with serving in sincerity and truth. No put on, no hypocrisy, but honest, sincere giving of a man or a woman's life to God to do what the Lord wants. That means to be faithful to what he teaches. He said, if any man will serve me, let him follow me. You can't follow something that's dark and unclear. You can only follow in a way that you know where you're going. Let me ask you something. What is at the end of your life, the way you're living right now, when you reach the end of your life, whenever it is, where will you be? Will you be where God wants you to be, or are you still on your own? We'll get to that next, our last point. But where will you be? To follow is to serve. Because what you're following today is who you're serving. And he said this, if any man will follow me, what will God do? Verse 26, he said, "Then where I am, there will my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. The word honor mostly has to do with Showing gratitude or showing favor. Now, him will my father honor or show favor to. Is it possible that some Christians seem to have more from God in terms of favor than others? Is that fair? I'm asking you on this little quiet moment we're having together. Is it fair for God to show favor to some and not others? Or to show more to some of his people than he would others of his people? Is it possible for me to, to find more grace or to grow in his grace? Is that possible? Or to add grace to grace? Favor to favor? How do I do that? How do I get more? How do I increase myself in favor with God? Well, let me read it again. Here's a choice you get to make. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there also shall my servant be. If any man follow me, him will my father honor. What if I'm following the Lord with all of my heart? Will there be a lot of God's grace following me? I don't have to be rich. Don't have to be well-to-do or have much of anything. I think some of the most dedicated people you'll ever read about, and some of these old-timers as well as people today in places we don't know of, have very little of this world's good and really could care less about this world's good because they have something that goes with them in the morning when they get up. It goes with them to bed at night when they go to bed. They rise up, they cope with anything in life with a smile on their face because God is with them and he blesses them. And their life is a testimony to how big God is in a person's life. That it doesn't take money, fortune, great things or lots of, it doesn't take that for a man to have favor with God. But God gives favor and he can do all of that. Sometimes God's favor is just the fact that you're always at peace with God. No matter what happens, it troubles the world, it doesn't trouble you. I think God said that, let not your heart be troubled. Why? You know the rest of that verse in John 14? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe all. It's all about faith. What do you believe? Is it possible or is it true that a man who believes what God says with sincerity and certainty is sure, walks around without dread of tomorrow, without dread of diseases and all the ominous forecasts of the world? These things don't trouble him or her anymore. Why? because something is greater than all of that that is hidden in your heart, you have decided to believe and live like it's true. Certainly you suffer. Paul talked about his sufferings in Second Corinthians 12 about all the difficulty he went through. The shipwreck and all the humiliation. But he said, we're more than conquerors through Christ. That doesn't keep me from heaven. That's not going to keep me from having a good witness to the Lord. Seems like the more I grip this plow and, and hold on to it tighter, the more happy I am about it. Where does that happiness come from? It comes from God. It's grace. It's honor in your life. He can trust you. You don't need for everything to go your way. You made a decision a long time ago to get yourself on a cross and whatever comes your way in your life, you approach it, you face it with God's word, you trust the Lord with a smile on your face like they did in in the days of persecution. They went to Nero's garden, they hung these Christians on the cross and they sang hymns. You can read Fox's Book of Martyrs about how many great saints and unknown saints died happily? They didn't dread it. They had something in their heart was bigger than life, and it was eternal life. Found Christ. He gave his all to me. I'm willing to give back to him everything I've got. Where does that come from? It comes from God. Why do some people have that and others not? It's grace. God sees your heart. He sees your direction, and he adds to it everything it needs to keep you going that way. It's when you start drawing back, well, I don't know, I I ain't too sure about that. That's when you struggle with your Christian life so much. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of honor and grace in your life. And then honor can take on the effect of of being blessed. You know, the same word honor is used to count them worthy of double honor, who, who labor in the word and doctrine. You know that Hebrews 13... I've been blessed I have been you all have blessed me you really have and I'm thankful for it and I have found it's just like giving you can't out give God you can give with the wrong ideas I'm, well, if I get a dollar in or I'll get a hundred back that ain't gonna work not like that there's a principle there but that's not give to get but you give because it's It's what God does. God so loved the world that he gave the best he could. He made himself a body called the Lamb of God, and he put himself in that body in the form of a human being, Jesus Christ. Same feelings you have, same problems, short, you know, the same makeup you have lived in this world without ever sinning, was able to offer himself without spot unto God who was able to save. And because of that, God is willing to save whosoever will come to him. But you come to him, folks, on his terms. I'd tell a lost man that in a minute. You want to come to the Lord, you got to come on his terms. His way's pretty narrow. It leads to life but it's narrow. There's a cost. Jesus said, if any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and his wife and his children and brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Who can do that? You can, I can, we can. Because we can't do it by ourselves, but God's grace enables us to do that. Do you realize that having made it this far means that God has honored you? Do you realize that all the people you once knew, we could talk about who used to fill these rooms and this room and in, in other rooms that have left and gone who knows where, and you've stayed and stuck around, you realize that the reason you've stayed and stuck around is because God has honored you and your efforts feeble though maybe that you think they were, God honored it? And some of you tried to take off and couldn't stay off because grace is like a big rope yanked you back. (laughs) Who could love anybody like that? God. God could. To honor his son Jesus, who before the beginning of the world appointed you to salvation, you can make sure that at some point in this life, God is going to rescue your perishing hide and bring it to him. He's going to break your heart. He's going to humble you and melt you into a little puddle until there's not much left, and he's going to begin to build you back into what he wanted originally. I'm going to leave. I don't like it's too hard. I tell you what, if you do leave, you're you're going to get in trouble because I'm going to put a hook around your neck and yank yourself back in here. You get back in here, But aren't you thankful this morning? Aren't you grateful? Let me tell you the final third thing that you consider in serving God. Your decision to serve the Lord has a timeline. You can't just decide to serve the Lord anytime you want to. I used to think you could, but you can't. Have you heard of the verse that says, call ye upon the Lord while he is near? Does that mean that you can't just call upon him whenever you want to, but when he is near and he beckons you, you can call upon him? Yes. I wonder how many of us, I did, I don't know how many others were like that, but I wonder how many of us think that, I don't think I'm ready for Christianity now. I'm just too I'm like a cannon loose, you know, I'm not ready for, but one of these days I'm going to do it. I'm going to get around to it. A little piece of wood that has to it written on it. I'm going to get me around to it. One of these days I'll do it. I'll give my heart to Christ. Maybe I'd be 80 years old, kind of slow then. Two thirds, three quarters wore out. Can't do much anymore, so I'll just get saved. Or maybe not 80 years old. Maybe some folks are saying, well, I'm, I'm a young man, man. I am so frisky, having so much fun. I just don't want to abandon all of that fun to to read the Bible and go to church. As though that's all we're doing. And you think that one day you will come around when you want to. Let me tell you something. You can't. No man can come to Jesus. You can go to church. You can listen to the preacher and join the church, all of that. But no man can come to the Son, in John 6, except the Father, which sent the Son, draws him. And when the Father draws a sinner out of his pew, or somebody that's backslidden, when God draws you, you know you're being drawn. I don't think you can resist that kind of grace. I don't. When God determines to save a man's soul, a man is going to be saved. And again, you didn't choose him. He chose you. And because of that, you're saved. But you can't determine the day you're going to be saved. I think, well, I think in a couple of weeks I'll get over this. I, get, I got to quit smoking first. Well, I've been drinking and running around. I got to get things straightened out at home. When I get my life straightened out, then I'll come back to the Lord. You can't. People think they can't. People say that because they're in religious environments that okay that. But that's not good. You cannot come to the Lord when you want to or get yourself right with the Lord whenever you want to. Listen to this. Today, Hebrews 3.7 says, today, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. Harden would have the idea of resisting what he wants. Today, if, if you can hear his voice, if there's something that stirs in your heart today, then don't resist and don't harden your heart. Psalms 27.1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. When Easter comes around, Easter Sunday, I think I'll go forward. You don't even know if it'll be here. You don't even know that you'll be here in the morning. You have no guarantee that you'll be here in the morning. You may be in heaven in the morning. You don't have any guarantee the sun will come up tomorrow. Jesus could come. How can any of us tell anybody what we're going to do next month, where I'll pay you back in six years? How can anybody do that? You don't even know if you'll be here in six years. Not only did you give your word, but now you can't keep it. How do you know you're going to be here? You don't know. But what you do know is that today is a day of salvation. You don't know about tomorrow. Listen to what James said. Let me, let me read for you from the little book of James, chapter 4, verse 13 through verse 15. Go to now. I don't know who talks like that, but that's what it says here. Go to now. You that say today or tomorrow, we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It's but a vapor. It appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Lord willing, we'll be here next Sunday morning. Amen. We don't even know if there will be a next Sunday. We don't know that. God knows. We assume. We expect. But we don't know. But what we do know is right now, if God is speaking to any of your hearts, we know that right now something is going on in your heart, whether you're saved or not saved, that God is dealing with something. A decision you should be making, should make, ought to make, tried to make and didn't make, but you can make now. Today, right now. You, can't, you might not make that decision tomorrow. Have you ever noticed this? If you get mail, maybe it's some cause, wants a donation, and you have good intentions. Well, I'll, I'll set this over here. I'll take care of that a day or two. And a day or two, that you look at that envelope, you look at that, I'm too busy right now for that. Have you ever noticed that within a week you tear it up and throw it in the garbage? It's just something about the nature of man that has good intentions and good ideas, but he doesn't follow through with them because in spiritual sense he can't do things on his terms. Life is about God, not you. God is in control. He gives you the opportunity to make decisions about your life, but those decisions God gives you to make is what controls your life, doing things his way. Let me close with this. Go to Luke chapter 13 and verse 23, and and we'll close. Luke 13 and verse 23. Then he said unto them, He said unto him, Lord, are there a few that be saved? Man, you made it awful hard, Lord. Is there a few that be saved? This is what he said, to be saved. Strive. That's the first word, isn't it? The Greek word means agonize. Agonize. Extreme effort here. Because it's not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and is shut to the door, and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he will answer, I never knew you. And you will begin to say, but Lord, look what we've done. Look at all the things we did. We're not bad people. We've been with you. We've been to the church. We've eaten and drunk in your presence, and we've heard you teach. We've heard your word. But he said, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. It's choice. And consequence. There's nothing really and truly really hard about what I've just said, because what I've just said is the Word of God, which is called the good Word of God. Are you with me? What we consider hard is what challenges us to give more than we want to give. And the struggle there, with, oh God, like striving, Lord, it's striving. Why can't I just join a church, get baptized, and then uh, take a seat and try to be a better citizen and a better person? Why, can't, why isn't that enough? Because that's not what he said. I mean, if the word agonized means agonized, it means that's part of the deal. We don't have to make you agonize. You just read the Bible and the decision, you'll agonize over the decisions. But how else, in closing, how else can any of us serve the Lord? How can we truly say we're serving the Lord if we've just set so much aside, like that letter? We just sort of set it aside for another time. Maybe I'm not there yet. We set it aside, and we go out of here, and tomorrow we're reminded, you know, this is not what you should be doing. This is not where you should be. You shouldn't look and act like that. You're not doing it the way God wants you. How can you say you're serving God? See, these are personal challenges. We have to deal with it. We have to get in that closet and wrestle with our flesh because there is a war between the flesh and the spirit. Isn't there? Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only one. But there is a war because what I want to do sometimes, I think, oh, God. God. Why do I have to? And you just have to deal with it. Because if you're going to serve the Lord, you're going to serve him on his terms. For that is what Christianity is. Will you serve God? Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to bless the content of your word to that part of our heart that you move where conviction comes where holiness is formed when you said you want us to be holy it means that you want us to live like Jesus Lord while we're not perfect people you chose us you're the one who chose us out of the miry clay You know our weaknesses and our shortcomings, and I ask you in Jesus' name to continue to show honor and favor to us, deal with us, and bring us into that that place where you will be pleased with your people, a church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. I ask you to do that for this congregation in particular, for those that watch or listen. This is a late hour, Lord, and the world is beginning to reel. And the rumblings of the end are coming. Help us to see that and to serve you in fear. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.